Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome to Lights Out Podcast. I am the MMA detective, Mike Davis, along with me, my partner in crime, Miguel Arate. Miguel, we've got a special guest today, Francisco Bueno. Yeah, man, we got a black belt to our ranks and uh, a black belt of this level who's, you know, teaching and creating other black belts. And uh, we're, we're very happy. It's a pleasure to have you, Francisco. Thank you so much, Miguel. Thank you so much, Mike, to have me in the show. I, you know, I love you guys' work. It's beautiful what you guys been doing for the whole sport. Yeah, try it. We're trying. So we, we've kind of tiptoed our way into the jiu-jitsu world. You're one of those guys that rides between both MMA and jiu-jitsu, which makes our job incredibly easy, or I should say easier. But let's start from the beginning. You actually are a black belt in judo under George Mendy? Yes. George Mendy. Um, yeah, George, one of the guys in the world, he's a legend. You right. know, he's totally a legend. Um, he's uh, the only Western guy that received a samurai in a public public park in Japan. Uh, George has a beautiful uh, uh, journey. He was a, he's a French guy. Uh, he was a judo f- uh, fighter. And uh, he enjoyed the graces in the early beginning. So he the type of guy, he kind of, you know, did all the groundwork and pretty much has the stand-up also. There's a thing that Gracie's didn't have it, and he's still not having it. You know, they're more like a ground, it's just a ground fighter. So the stand-up, the stand-up sucks, you know. They're not good at the throws and, and the striking. We already know that. Uh, but George was amazing, man. He was like a, he was a superstar. He he lined up all the Gracie's, um, and then he had a school, that he didn't like actually jiu-jitsu guys going to the school, but all the top guys, some, they allowed to go there and make, uh, you know, a big difference in their career. Okay, so some of the top guys, Mario Sperry, Bustamante, yourself. So just so people can kind of get a little history lesson, George Medi, I'm glad you corrected me on that, he actually practiced – Kosen judo techniques in Japan for five years directly under Kimura. Who exactly? That's the guy. Sato from Japan. Sato too. Yeah, to Brazil. Yes. Where you guys kind of put your own ingredients and spin on it, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu is formed. Correct. Correct. You know, uh, since you mentioned that. Uh, there's a lot of, um, how can I say and what can I say? Uh, George was, became a father for me. I was either his army. I was in the first line, George, uh, in Brazil. Um, and he always told me there is no such a thing as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And remember, 
to make uh, uh, another observation, I'm a coral belt, not a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I'm a coral belt. It's it's a higher rank. It comes after yeah after oh, thirty years of black belt. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, Mike, I'm the youngest coral belt in the history of the jiu-jitsu. That's awesome. That's fantastic. You know, there is uh, there is you, I cannot have the coral belt because of my age, but the Federation and the Confederation, they got it together. They want to do that to me. Um, you know, I just, I was happy, you know, it was the, uh, the beginning of this year that I got my curl belt. So that was a oh. very incredible accomplishment uh, in my in my life, not even my career. But going back to jiu-jitsu, George always said there is no such a thing as Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, yes, that's a very uh, that's a bomb. You know, I sometimes I tell that, but sometimes I've been hiding that stuff. But that's the true. The history, the true history, is Konji Koma. Konji Koma is a Japanese guy. He's a judo guy that he was sent to Brazil, and Koma means fifth so means he was a bad guy in japan so they throw him in brazil so he was a judo guy and then he got together with carlos gracie and elio gracie and then carlos became his student and they pretty much focused more on the ground because there was very skinny guys carlos and elio so they work on the ground game a lot Kosen Judo, we call Newaza. And then uh, Gracie, like always, they have a very good marketing in the world, you know. They've done it very pretty well. They image and marketing. They call Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. You know, they deserve it. They work hard. They accomplish that. But that's a true story. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is... Kosen Judo or Newaza. Okay. And you know, it sounds like, you know, from your stories and the way you're you're talking to, that you come from a branch of jujitsu that holds the Gracies in rival. Why don't you talk about how that rivalry developed? Yes, uh, Miguel, it's like this. Um, first of all, I was a black, uh, when I was a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or crazy Jiu-Jitsu or Jiu-Jitsu, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I I felt like I was, I need something else. You know, I feel like I was, I wasn't a complete fighter. Even when we're talking about gi, okay, with the gi, traditional gi. And then uh, I went to George Midi. And I knew there was a hiding school. No, he doesn't like jiu-jitsu guys. He said the technique was very poor, like they developing the wrong system, blah, blah, blah. And I went to check it out. And pretty much I became his like his son, like the first line of his his gym. Uh, and of course, I kept doing my jiu-jitsu with Andre Perdoneras, Novo Union, one of the biggest in the world, for sure. I got my black belt in 1994. For 1993, I got my black belt. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
And I was like already like a 10 times Brazilian champion. All the tournaments in Rio, I get the most technical fighters. In the, the first Brazilian championship, they called Mameluk, was in Rio de Janeiro. So I won with Amaury Bitech. So that was a man, that was a long time Wait, ago. That was you went up against Bitech in the finals? No, no, I actually won the same tournament. He won, um, he was heavier than I was. He won a heavier division. I won the, actually back in the days I was a 175, 170, something like that. So in the whole tournament, the, the fastest submission in the whole tournament. And um and I was a champion in my weight also. So um that was a big night. Uh we're talking about 1992 or 1993, something like that. Pitech is somebody I hold in the highest of regards. Um, had he not ran into Don Fry, I, I think he would have been the next Brazilian world champion. It's just it was a, he ran into a real bad matchup that night. Um, yeah, I agree, Mike. Yeah, Batech is a savage. You also grappled in Hickson Gracie's association tournaments, and you won that as well. Am I correct? Yes, you're correct. Actually, Rick Hickson tried to set it up my uh, super fight against Higgin Machado. That's a very big uh, gossip around the jiu-jitsu world in LA back in the days, also in Brazil. Um, he challenged uh, the whole Machado family, and the one that uh, stepped up was Higgin. And like a week before the fight, um, he, he backed down, he chickened out, to tell you, being straight. He chickened out because he heard some uh, stories about uh, my training, all that gossip around the girls. Back in the days, there's no internet, there's no Instagram, there's no social media, so people talk. Mm -hmm. So, and then he backed off, and then he set it up for his brother, Jean-Jacques Machado. He was much smaller than I was, and I was really surprised. I love it. Say, that's good. Let's do it. And then two days before the super fight of a uh, Hickson tournament, uh, Jean-Jacques back off too. So um, that was a crazy day. Joe Moreira, will you know Joe Moreira, of course. Yeah. You tell the story. Yeah. You tell the story better than I do because he, he, he loved that stuff. You know, uh, I had just arrived in America. You know, I've been training with all, all those guys and and people are getting freaked out. So, and he said, okay, you know what? Let's do uh, this challenge in a black belt Korean Airlines, Joe Moreira. So he ended up, they didn't want to fight and they put another guy under his rank, a black belt called Renato Magno. You might know him. So I end up fighting for the belt against him. And I became a champion in the, that uh, tournament also. So I was, a, I was a man. I'm talking is a long, long years mm -hmm. ago. You know that was good. Do Do you think that based on your association with George Medi, that your history isn't as well documented, almost like it was intentional, intentionally put aside? Mike, a hundred percent. I was never a media guy. You know. I never liked the media. I just did like a martial arts, jiu-jitsu, judo, 
uh, and all the, the 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 because man, I've done everything: boxing, wrestling, uh, karate, uh, Muay Thai, kickboxing, savage French boxing. I was telling you, man, belt in crow belt in jiu-jitsu, uh, uh, a black with called not black belt but black belt in muay thai uh silver belt i won under the black belt in uh, french boxing so i've done a lot of things in martial arts but i never was a media guy and i because of george midi even my um instructor back in the days andre perdoneras that we done we make a lot of you know difference in the mma world because i brought andre to las vegas you know, to meet um, John Lewis, and then they become doing that here. We brought a lot of fighters, Jose Aldo, Rafael Carino, back in the days. Uh, but that bothers a lot of people in jiu-jitsu community yeah. and the media. So I was kind of the black sheep, you know. So hundred uh, percent. I'm used 100%. to that. Yeah, I'm used to that, you know. But people that knows me over there back in Brazil. You know, but there's a real guys and then there's a fake guys in jiu-jitsu. So, you're not from the Gracie branch. So, I've got a question in regards to September 26, 1991. It's the first time that Luta Libre and jiu-jitsu collide. And they have three matches and it's broadcasted all over Brazil on TV. The matches were... Fabio Vergel, somebody you went up against, versus Denilson Maia, Boost Mur- uh, Marilla Bustamante, Marcel Mendez, and I think there was Mendes. one. It was Walid Ishmael. Yes, yes. So that night was was jujitsu versus Luta Libre. Were you in attendance? I was there, actually. I was there. Right, right on the on the ring, you know. Uh, but like I said, back in the days, uh, at that fight, I haven't had. Uh, I only trained jujitsu. I was, um, I guess, I was a purple belt uh, at, at that time. Purple brown, getting to a black belt. I, I, I gotta remember. I don't remember exactly. But um, I trained uh, with a lot with Amari Bitech, who the one supposed to be in the in the card. Uh, instead of Fabio Gorgel, they trained by under Carson Gracie. So, um, that was an amazing night. That was an amazing right. night. But, uh, so, that was... historically is like the first time really MMA in the Americas has ever been televised. What did you think of the fights that night? I know Luke Libre went 0 3, but there seemed to be some kind of judging, uh, I don't know, bias? Referee bias, yeah. I should Jiu-Jitsu say. Jiu-Jitsu won. Yes. Yeah, Jiu-Jitsu won. It wasn't Luta Livre. Yeah, Jiu-Jitsu won for uh, three or no, of course. And um, it was kind of crazy, the rivalry back in the days. You know, uh, I actually, to tell you the truth, I'm a black belt in Luta Livre too. Uh, I'm under uh, Hugo Duarte. He's a big Duarte. fan of mine. Yeah. yeah, we trained together, you know, great guy. He's you know, a big friend of mine. We always talk, you know, and, um, but to tell you the truth, the difference between Luta Livre and Jiu-Jitsu is big. It's huge, actually. 
Um, even uh, Jiu-Jitsu does the ground game pretty much uh, with the gi. When we take the gi off, we way ahead of Luta Livre. I'm sorry, you know, all the Luta Livre guys, like I said, I'm a black belt Luta Livre also, but it's a way, it's a big difference. You know, the way I see it, Luta Livre put more like strength and like a try to neck cracks and, and Jiu-Jitsu is much more technical uh, than the Luta Livre, of course. Did you ever roll with Hicks and Gracie? Actually, that's a, um, uh, I don't know if you uh, asked that question with a kind of, you know, like a, you really know something that happened is a big gossip about that back in the days. Uh, I had a student of mine, he was a purple belt. And then he said, man, I want to see, he's a big friend of Hickson, big friend of Hickson. Uh, he's a famous guy. He ended up dying in Brazil, you know, as a robbery. Um, but um, he was uh, one of the managers of Marco, who was also, you know, and he said, I want to see that that match, man. I, I got to take you to a Hickson's house. You're going to roll with him. I'm sure you're going to kill him because he rolled with Hickson a couple of times. And then I, we went to his house at Pacific Palace. In, I remember in L.A., you know, close to Malibu. When yeah. the, we, I, I, man, I was very excited. I was I was turned on. I said, I'm going to smash that guy. You know, I, I don't care. I was, you know, young, very hype. You know, I never believed in that magical stuff. You know, so I just want to go and try and test it. So we went up. We're going over there. And then... um. He started rolling with him. That was a, you know, and I start to warm it up. You know, my time. My gap, he looked at me, gave me a slap in my shoulder and said, oh, man, he's too strong today. I'm going to surf. I don't want to get tired. So we do this another day. So we never end up rolling. We never end up training. And that's a true story. Okay. Um, what made you come to the United States? What, when did you decide to move and understand that you had to come here? Mike, there was um, 1996. I was multiple times state champion, Brazilian champion. A lot of guys talk about my jiu-jitsu, my ground game. And this guy that I just talked about, it, Marco Dra, the one who got killed in Brazil. Uh, I went to Joe Moreira in Los, in Los Angeles to train. And I rolled with all those guys and they get really impressed. And he said, Chico, do you want to come here? I open up a school. We'd be partners. And I was like, like uh, I don't know, 21 years old, something like that. Um, totally want to do this. Totally want to fight. I had, like, I had a, a restaurant already in Brazil. So I remember I sold my car and I came to the United States just to, you know, just to give it a try. Uh, we ended up opening four schools in L.A., so we had a beautiful time, beautiful, like, uh, you know, incredible students. And um, uh, man, a lot of things happened. And I stayed 
since uh, 1997 until 2002. And after I had to go back to Brazil to take care of family business, and I ended up giving up fighting because I didn't have uh, a sensei, a true guy that could help me out and give me a directions uh, to be like a you know high level fighter athlete actually because I was teaching already you know my was my career I felt uh, very bad because I didn't have anyone to trust as a coach to take me where I could go in my career that's what I'm doing to Carlos right now you know like I've been there I've done there and I felt really lonely in my journey you know even when I fought pride against Satoshi Homa, and even when I go to Abu Dhabi, all those fights. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. So you're talking about Carlos Motaz, a, a, a kid from Brazil that you brought up here. He's a 125-pounder. Dude, he's so fast. He's actually just fought in the UFC. So you're bringing somebody from the beginning and getting them all the way to the end, which is something – that you struggled with in your career. I agree with that. So let's bring it back to 1998. Hold on. But I have a question, though, Francisco. You you had exposure to such good guys. Like, you know, even Hugo Duarte, you know, uh, Andre Pettineris, uh, you guys that you've mentioned here. Uh, those guys Marco could have Couldn't even why, – why didn't you gravitate towards those guys? What Did you already feel like you were there? Miguel, here, that's or? the thing. Uh, that's a very interesting question. Actually, it was a great question. People doesn't question themselves even today. Uh, what happened is I see some professional fighters um, and they have like a jiu-jitsu coach, strength and conditioning coach, wrestling coach, boxing coach, Muay Thai coach. What happened when you have a lot of um, chiefs Fighting pretty much is about ego. So that bothers me a lot because you bring a jiu-jitsu guy to a camp, a jiu-jitsu coach, of course, he pretty much, I'm telling you, nine, 99% of the human being, they want to pull the game to themselves. So that's a very, I'm going to tell you a, a short story, very funny. I got a guy in Brazil. He's a jiu-jitsu coach, actually pretty good jiu-jitsu coach. I don't, I don't want to mention names right now, but he's an awesome coach, one of the best. And I, I said, you know what? Come help me with Carlos. Let's go. To, you come with me in his corner. And then we fought a guy from Andrea Perdoneras, 100% jiu-jitsu guy. And Carlos uh, knocked the guy down and stayed in the guy's guard. And the coach says, come on, Carlos, pass his guard. I say, shut up. We're not passing nobody's guard. His nervous system, he does that every day. We're going to stay in his guard and ground and pound him. So that's the thing that I'm telling you. So, man, that's that's very interesting question. Because uh, like wrestlers, why wrestlers were so well succeed? against a uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because they're not trying to do Jiu-Jitsu. They do something else. They get a good balance. They got a very good, strong core. They got an incredible positioning. 
not positions, positioning. So they make it very difficult for jiu-jitsu guy uh get a submission sometimes or, or, or sweep or reverse the game because of their balance. So, like, as I said, I, I trained uh, in the Olympic team uh, of Iran back in the days of wrestling. Uh, I went to a full, uh, Cal State Fullerton to train wrestling. I spent, like, in Cerritos College wrestling. I trained a lot with Dan Henderson. Dan Henderson used to go to my school in jiu-jitsu, and I would go to uh, Cerritos College when he was a coach. So we, we exchange a lot of information. So I felt that the way we need to be function is about MMA. Because jiu-jitsu guys, they think, oh, I'm good in jiu-jitsu, I'm going to be good in MMA. has nothing to do with that. Jiu-jitsu sport is one thing. Ground game for MMA is another thing. So that's why it's a misunderstanding. I see people getting five, 10 coaches, but they don't talk to each other and they don't want, actually the boxing guy, they don't know about jiu-jitsu. They say, oh, knock that guy out. The wrestling, take him down. Jiu-jitsu guy, pass his guard. So it's, man, MMA is a, such a, a, a smart Different. IQ yeah. modality that we need to put all your things together and be at least to know about all around the game. Okay. Well, Miguel, you obviously started after this event, but you, Francisco, also participated in the first ADCC, March 20th, 1998. How do you get the invite? And actually, I was training, you know, and uh, one day I, I, I went to the Beverly Hills, Hills Jiu-Jitsu. Marcos Vinicius, for sure, Mike, you already know him. Yeah. And, then, you know, that, that day, I was like, uh, you know that day that you had a light on you? Man, I walk in, there's a lot of UFC fighters and pride fighters. So I stayed in the middle. Man, I just, you know what's the, a, ma a magical touch? Man, I was <laughs> in a blast day. And, like, man, I tap all those guys 10 times in five minutes, each one of those guys. So the gossip uh, went around. So I get invited for the ADCC. And as the first match was funny, I fought a guy, a Russian guy. He's like... Uh, you're, you're, you fought a Russian Sambo expert. Uh, I, I got Rajab. I watched it. He's clearly a Sambo guy, but I, I couldn't get the last name. Yeah, he's uh, not only that. He was a three-time world champion in wrestling. Okay. So the, the guy was a mountain, man. The guy was a rock. The guy was the strongest guy I ever see and I ever trained in my life. So there was a match. You know, I was much short. I, I mean, I'm a six foot, you know, like I'm not a short guy. I'm average. But the guy, I, I look it up to see him. He may be like a 40 pounds heavier than I was. He just like a, he slapped my head over here before we went to the mat. Like, a, okay, kid, I'm just going to smash you. So mm -hmm. we did like, a, if I'm not wrong, my, we did like a two or three overtime. And he never lost a match before, a professional match. Like that guy was a freak. I remember uh, Tahanun, the Sheik of Abu Dhabi. He, 
he was paying that guy one million dollars to teach wrestling sambo over there so he was a price of the house like that was the guy that smashed everyone so that was my first match so i end up winning that match like a two or three overtime andre pedernero's actually was in my corner screaming all over the place like he always does and uh <laughs> It was beautiful, man. But I, I was I was really hurt inside. I was really tired, you know. And I went to the second match against the so, European judo champion. So you got the second match, Faraz Nakdali. Um, like you said, European judo champion. That's your second bout. And how is the tournament up until this point? Like, is a lot of ego? Is it intense? Are people friendly? Yeah, it was a uh, was a lot of ego because I knew it that I was gonna win the tournament because the quality of the tournament. I remember the Rico Rodriguez, Rico Rodriguez, I guess. Yeah, Rico. He fought in the UFC. Yeah, uh, he was a purple belt, and uh, he already know that I challenge his his senseis, uh, the Machado family. I, I challenge them all. I will tell the uh, another story funny. With Joe Moreira, will tell that even better than I do. You know, uh, I, there are some episodes very funny back in the days. I was a kind of uh, wild kid, you know, back in the days. I like to do it. I like to talk, but I like to do it. So um, uh, I end up fighting against the judo guy. I make like a lot of points and I submit him. And then I went to the finals. But after that match, because of the Russian guy, I was throwing up a lot of blood. I was kind of hurt inside a rib, you know. Um, so they took me to the do doctor, to the hospital. And then I said, no, guys, I'm good to go. I can fight the finals. You'll be against Rico Rodriguez. That will be the easiest match of the whole tournament for me, you know. And um, they didn't let me fight because of the blood, you know. Stuff, you know, like they had like a boat ride for the champions. The she called me to do that. I didn't go, man. I was so mad, you know. I said I can fight. I'm, I'm just, you know, I just the blood is out already. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm recomposed. I'm reset. I'm ready to go to fight the final. But they didn't let me. Who, who was your roommate? Do you remember? Oh, Rodrigo Medeiros. Rodrigo Medeiros. You know who yeah. Rodrigo? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, pretty good jiu-jitsu guy from Carson Gracie. The, yeah. Those first few years of the ADCC tournaments, it's like the Wild West. Sometimes you don't even like the person you're rooming with. Sometimes it's your future opponent. It's just, who knows? <laughs> True, man. But Rodrigo is a great guy. He's lighter. He was, uh, I guess, one fifth, one... Well, 155 back in the days, I was uh 200 or 205. Um, so Rodrigo was a nice guy. I think he he ended up doing pretty good. I'm not remember if he won, but he was my roommate, good friend. We even like we talk sometimes. Uh, he's a great guy, but uh, everything else was good. You know, uh, we just I was just really sad because I could fight. I could fight. I was hurt, but I could fight. So, because back in the days, the fighting game in those countries was kind of, you know, 
on and off. The chic could have not had a problem. You know, just was crazy. Okay. Um, that is your first entry into the world stage. And at this point, the hype around your name, like Grappling Magazine, is all over you. Like they're constantly doing articles, you're showing techniques, but you're also being kind of, I'm not going to say aggressive. You're, you would say, this is the stuff the Gracies don't teach you. And then you would do a technique like, you know, that was kind of like exactly. your gimmick. Like you enjoyed kind of showing them up. Man, you are a true detective, Mike. I'm fucking surprised, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a true story. So one of it, I think it was a 2001 May issue of Grappling Magazine. The article was called Power Jiu-Jitsu. And it was like Franco Colombo and yourself. And you had demonstrated a Granby-style Americana into like an R-block from the turtle position. And it was like mind-blowing for the time and you were like well this is what you're supposed to be doing got it i, I mean telling it, what, what do you think why do you think that the brazilians the initial brazilians coming to the united states would hold back on technique for the american students mike to tell you the truth before i thought about that i feel like they keep hiding but in those days i see they're not hiding they're just not capable you know they know what they've been taught but but didn't they didn't go through it and follow different things they are you know like religion jiu-jitsu gracie or brazilian jiu-jitsu is pretty much like a religion i'm not about that man I, i'm open up the difference about my ground game even like in those days uh, this week, I've been teaching here the American top team in Las Vegas. All those black belts, they freaking out because they said, man, not even one day of your techniques. I never seen that before. What was that? And I said that it's uh, a group of knowledge between George Medi, Sambo, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, so I put it together and I transform as a system. Like uh, there is a guy, Todd Hester. He was an editor chief of Grappling Magazine. And uh, and he he pretty like, he loved jiu-jitsu. And then when I started doing all the, the, the techniques that I used, and I, that was my basic tech, my base program, they call five points. That is so much pressure in those points. And they say, man, how you end up doing this? So that this is a mix of everything. I'm not just a blind guy with a religion. They said, oh, grace is jujitsu. It's like bullshit. For me, it's a bullshit. You know, you got to go to the mat and prove to myself. So it's 100% bullshit. You know, I don't trust that shit. That's all you got. So just come and try it. You know, come and try it. And that's it, you know, like, uh, for me, it's a big, uh, it's a big, what can I say, man? You, you just gotta be your mind, got to be open to get more knowledge. Even like yesterday, when I was teaching the class, I said, guys, I feel like I'm a white belt. I still have so much to learn. 
you know, I can see a, a blue belt movement and I can prove that. So that blue belt was teaching me in that time, you know, so I'm open to that. The problem with people, they reach the black belt and see this is the end. Now I'm a master. Now I'm a sensei. The ego, it's blocking themselves to evolution, to improve themselves. So I'm still open to learn most possible that I can. Okay. So Todd Hester obviously went on to Bodyguard Magazine. and I think he still writes today after after that. But he started with grappling. Um, but your first fight, January 20th, 1999, you fought an IVC-8 against Jason Godsu. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a funny fight. Yeah. Well, it was crazy and funny. Well, it <laughs> It was very interesting. I don't feel like giving up the surprise. Would you mind telling everybody what may have taken place? Oh, definitely. <laughs> the thing was, uh, um, I was by myself. To tell you the truth, I had no corner. I had no uh, coaches. I went by myself. That's it. Went in there to the hotel, to the press conference. I see Jay Godsey with Mark. Kevin Hammond, all the big names. I, the Hammer House. And I was by myself. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I was by myself, and I see that guy give me a look at the lunchtime, trying to provoke me, you know, try to – and I was – man, I was I was a wild guy. I was a wild kid back in the days. So I say, you know what? I'm going to make him swallow everything with their eye contact, with the try to, you know, provoke me. So that's why when I um, knock him down, I guess with a left hook, he went fall out of the ring. His legs end up... Um, in the ropes, tangled um, in the ropes. Yeah, tangled in the ropes. I pulled the ropes. I got in. I, I kept doing I kept hitting him on him. And I remember the referee... He choked me out. I passed. Actually, Mike, I passed out you, with the rear naked choke. So Sergio Bottarelli is the referee. He's telling Francisco to stop. Francisco really wasn't stopping. And right. like, even though he wasn't like throwing a lot of punches, he wasn't giving up positions. Like, no, no, no. Let this guy fall. Let him fall to the ground. Yeah. So Bottarelli, <laughs> you can see you, you almost – passed completely out but you lost consciousness for a split section very true very true man i've been (laughs) tapped by the referee can you believe that you tapped the referee out for you details bro unbelievable yes i tapped out man i was out (laughs) so i I was Francisco, I was actually there. I was I was at that fight. And when this guy says he was intense, I'm really, talking about Miguel. Yeah, I, I, I was I was there with some of the American team. I believe Henry Matamoros fought on that card. So I, I was with him. Oh nice, Miguel. So um and this guy was like, you know when a bull they prepare a bull and the bull is like ah, ah, ah. like right, this is Francisco Bueno. And Jason was like, you know, trying to stay calm in his style, but it's uh, if he made a face at you, 
that was a face that went wrong because you 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 gave it right back to him and he was very intimidated. He told me, he goes, he asked, he actually asked me, he said, What am I gonna do with this guy? I said, You you gotta play your game, but he you you got into his head real good. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know, Miguel. And I'm glad you're there, man. We're here back again together. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for so sure. uh, we talked afterwards because you went to Pride, but uh, I'll let Mike take us there. All right. So All right. Frederico Lependa was the promoter for that event. No, no, that was Barrelli. No, Barrelli. Okay. Oh, you know what? WVC was Lependa then. Okay. Yes, true. Okay. I All fought right. for the belt. Yeah, I fought for the belt. Let's just say Frederico Lependa as a promoter, how was it? Man, Lapenda is uh, one of the guys that I can tell. Like, uh, he's he the one. He's I, I, he's the guilty one to MMA gets in a, in a, this level. Uh, that guy is man. He's incredible promoter. He know how to do things. You know, he was a young guy back in the days with a lot of you know desire to grow as a producer, as a promoter, as a human being. Um, He's a great guy, you know. He was an incredible business guy, you know. He he he's done like a beautiful shows as a WVC, yeah. um, you know. All of this back in the days was the beginning of the sport, and he helped. Uh, not only help, man. He done it, you know. He one of the guys that I can call uh, as a guilty one to be where we at right now. He, he belongs in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yes. Yes, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, absolutely. His, his shows were clearly the biggest ones in the world at that time. I mean, keep in mind, he he went and did shows in Israel. You know, he went and did shows in in Ukraine. I mean, this Jamaica. guy in the nineties. Exactly, that's yeah. the point, man. He pushed us. He pushed the business. He pushed the, the MMA in such a higher level. He spread the MMA in the world. He produced. He promote. Like uh, man, he was a he was a you know incredible guy. No yeah, words for him. One of the one of the guys that heavily involved with the Brazilian top team as well. Still involved politically. Did shows all over the world. Probably lost an absolute fortune doing so. But raised the level of the sport uh, w without question. Okay, so my second question about Lapenda. Can I get one more in, Miguel, or do you want to jump yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so my second question about Lapenda in the documentary Rites of Passage. Um, it's a Bobby Razick film. I, I, I've watched it a few times. He had to go into the crowd and announce to them that you would not be on the card due to the fact that a, uh, like a sponsor didn't come through even though the, like, the entire event was really pushing your name. And, you know, these things happen, especially back then. That's not me trying to say anything negative about him, but it's it's a fact that this took place. So would you walk us through your version of those events? Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, we went over there. You know, there was a fight uh, as a belt lineup for uh, for me. And uh, and I had like a back like back in the days I had like a a wrestler uh, a wrestling coach from America a conditioning training from America so I need to pay off those guys too so uh, we agree for number if I'm not wrong was sixty thousand dollars I guess so in the end of the day I guess um, 
the day of the fight or the day one uh, one day before the fight over there we were over there like uh everything ready i was man i was bad shape of my life you know but end up uh some something happened with the sponsor he didn't came through so i said you know what i'm gonna try to be a uh, professional there was something that i was never was i was always the guy, type of guy you know what i don't care i just go and fight i don't you know i just don't care i don't care about the money i don't care about the date the time where the low i don't i don't care so at that time i looked to my guys we talk between me the wrestling coach and the conditioning and strength training coach and he said, you know what? If there's money not there, I'm not going to jump in. And then the later that I fought for the belt, and I'll be paid exactly what Federico promised me. Everything was being taken care of. All, you know, everything was ready. So when I fought for the belt or WVC against, um, I guess, Mario Mariano, so everything was being taken care of. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But Miguel, Francisco was omitted from a story of a previous interview that we did that we've got to shed light on. We had Antonio McKee on, which is one of the craziest interviews we've ever done, like bar none, batshit crazy. And he talked about learning that Brazilian stuff and showing up over at one of their gyms with a gun and kind of making sure that they taught me what it is that they knew. Were you the re- on the receiving end of Antonio McGee's little entry into the jiu-jitsu world? Yes. Yeah, I don't know what Antonio told me, but actually we have a mutual fan. Um, <laughs> that was a funny day, Mike. I was teaching a class. I was uh, My back was... I was giving my back to the door of my gym in LA and I see all my guys it actually was a, was a gi, was a gi class. And I see all my guys looking to the door. When I look over my shoulder, there was a three guy, four guys for wrestling shoes on my mat, on my, on my mat. And I say, what are you doing here, bro? You crazy? Oh, we want to try, want to test it. So you know what? I took my gear off and I rolled with Antonio and all those guys too. So, <laughs> and then you better ask him what happened. Oh, he said he got tapped. That. He said he definitely got tapped, but it opened up doorways in regards to like his understanding of what jujitsu was. And it left such an impression on him that actually one of your black belts, Cobb Whitehorse, was the body shop jiu-jitsu instructor from about 2004 to 2011. Mm. I can't even imagine Cobb. what it'd be like working day in and day out with Antonio McKee. <laughs> Antonio is a funny guy, man. He's crazy, you know. He gets he gets a lot of ego. Even he's uh he kept training over there. He getting tapped, man, a hundred times in five minutes. You know, that's a true story. You know, like, uh, and he couldn't understand. Man, he was like uh, punching the the match. Like, uh, how can you do that to me, man? I can't, you know, he was very, um, what is the word? 
um, man, I, I trained for Hoist Gracie. He didn't call me. You come, I come here and I, you make me tap 10 times in five minutes. I don't understand that shit. I'm fucking like, he was going crazy, man, of that, you know, like, uh, you know, I have a grappling magazine uh, interview with Antonio McKee and he, he mentioned that episode, you know, like I still have it actually, the magazine. He mentioned us. When he, he mentioned us that he had mm -hmm. a gun in his gym bag just in case there was any issues. <laughs> I believe him. Yeah. I don't think he's lying. He a, hey, Mike, he was a good wrestler. Antonio Very was good. a good wrestler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a good wrestler, but um, like I said, an actually very strong guy for his weight, you know. But the ego, uh, it was was there, bro. <laughs> he was a funny yeah. guy. We talk about Antonio even those days, man, with this guy that uh, actually we live in the same condominium here in Las Vegas. Uh, he he kept working with Antonio. You know, he was my student like a 20, 25 years ago, and now he he's back. He's in Vegas also. So um, and he's still very good friends of Antonio and AJ, his son, and uh, he kept telling, yeah, he kept telling AJ, man, you gotta meet Francisco Bueno, you gotta train with that guy, you know, and even John Jones, uh, he he's a friend of John Jones, and he said, uh, man, you gotta train with Chico, you're gonna see something different, you never felt it before, and John Jones said, oh man, you guys can come to I guess Al Albuquerque or something like that. New Mexico, I guess. And I said, no, I'm I'm not leaving Las Vegas. I got my family over here. So if he wants to come and train, enjoy, and then have some fun, we're ready. But um, I'd be careful with the fun part with John Jones. Go ahead. Sorry. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> I, I, I got a quick question for you. Now, I, I want to take us back to Brazil and the IBC because this was your first fight. So, And, and obviously, yeah. the Brazilians, like the all, all the guys – you know, from uh, uh, what was the name of the magazine and uh, uh, that that was down there. Tatami, Tatami, yeah, and all that that crew. They all were very much looking for you. Uh, you know, for your debut. And then there's a guy that's one of those Lapenda-like figures that was there, Jorge Guimaraes, and George George Guimaraes. He was a oh, TV George Guimaraes. Jorge yeah, you say yeah. Don't say it, man. Now, did he manage you to get the pride? Because I think that's what he was doing in those days. No, 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 no. Who managed me to go to the pride after that fight with uh, Marco Jara, the guy who got killed in in in, in Brazil? You know, the one he, he took me to Hickson's Gracie house. Okay. You know, so he was my manager back in the days, and also with Batarelli. Okay. Batarelli became my manager. He the one took me to Pride, you know. Like uh, that's 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 the truth. Okay. Okay. So Pride, we, we opened up the, uh, you know, we we opened up the that door. So on on April 29th, nineteen ninety nine, Pride five, Satoshi Hamna is your opponent. Um, he's a veteran of fourteen fights, seven five and two in Japan. If you follow this podcast, you know seven five and two in Japan is a savage record. You know they don't. They don't cater to anybody over there. They try to get everybody beat. Would you mind walking us through the fight? You were a little bit tentative in this one, initially anyway. Yeah, Mike, what happened is like this, man. I was like, uh, man, I, I feel like uh, in those days right now, 
I feel like us. I felt it, and I feel so much lack of direction, so much lack of a head coach, of a, a good person, a good mentor. They'll take me over things. They'll prepare my psychology, you know, emotional, to be in a fight. So there was a big lack of my career. You know, I didn't have any mentor. I didn't have any coach. Uh, you just have like a a guy for strength training that I took with me to Pride. So it was kind of off for me. Uh, I was type, uh, you know, I just let's go and fight. And, and Miguel, just to make a point, uh, IVC wasn't my first fight. It was my first, uh, we call big fight, a yeah, big promotion. Your first recorded fight, okay. So you actually fought, you went, you moved to the States, you fought in those underground San Pedro fights, like, and then went back to Brazil to do the IVC. That's crazy. Perfect. And then, so talk about, and then obviously you had some fights in Brazil that were a lower level. Oh, also. Okay. Okay. So well, wait, 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 hold up, Miguel. So those fights that you fought in, in, in the LA, the underground fights, were those like the Cobra fighting federation or was it the above ground fighting or, or was it kind of uh what was it the punishment series what was tito ortiz doing a hitman the hitman fight series was it any of those is this you know street fight so like a it looks like a kind of a garage or bar something weird and we go over there put your name put your like a and just go and fight you know i fought two times in one night over there uh, I, I remember it was a, a Friday, one of the Friday. I never forget about that. Um, so a lot of guys, uh, different guys, like a street fighters, uh, jiu-jitsu guys, some they used to show up, you know, wrestlers. So that was a, it was a fun time. I don't remember the promoter guy, but they, I remember they pay like a 200 bucks, you know, for a fight, you know, <laughs> you just go in Williams. Sorry, Ted Williams. Yeah. Oh, no, Ted Williams. I remember Ted. Yeah, he was a, such a nice guy. Funny guy. Okay. Well, here, let's go back to Japan. Saitashi Hamna, you knock him out uh, after about four or five minutes. You said your issue is that you didn't have a leader. Like, even Muhammad Ali had a trainer. Like, to really become a world champion, you have to have a trainer. You've got to listen to somebody. Yeah, the thing is, the lack of direction when you're not 100% ready in your mindset, something's going to lack, you know, if you don't have a good coach, if you if you like you, I, I was a kid, you know, in my entire career, I didn't have anyone to trust. I go to the boxing coaches. They wanted me to do boxing, of course. Like, uh, so it's, it's kind of, that's why I centralize everything right now as a coach. Uh, for example, I do the strength and conditioning for Carlos. He's uh, everything, man, pretty much like boxing, jiu-jitsu, wrestling. We get some bodies and, and just go for it. But back in the days, I didn't have that. So I entered Japan, you know, what can I say, man, to brawl and to fight. I wasn't really as a tactical fighter, uh, you know, just I was going up there and to see what's up and what's going to happen. So no strategy, uh, no directions. 
it was uh was sad you know it's still sad for me it was a lack of direction it was a lack of coach it's like missed opportunities yeah yeah very true miguel very true man very true so going into a you, you win that with a knockout they put you in pride eight against eager vovchenchen november 21st 1999 not an easy fight to watch as a fan and it's your first loss yes yeah not an easy I, thing to deal with something important but not an easy thing to deal with and when it's yeah, done in that fashion, it's got to make it even more difficult. You got to a point, Mike. That's why you're such a good at what you do. You know, you put him in the corner right now, and, and that's a true story. Uh, if you don't have directions, if you don't have a good coach, if you don't have a mentor and you get a lost because I wasn't used to lose, not even an aspiring section, you know, back in the days, that was very rare. Even if Jiu-Jitsu guy make me a point or advantage in a, just a role, a simple role, I wasn't used to get, man, I don't remember how long I don't tap out in the ground game. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was devastating. After that loss, emotionally, I was ruined. I was, man, I went up to like a, I was ashamed of myself. You know, my ego was huge. I couldn't digest that loss, you know, and I can tell that was my, um, that was the end of my career as an athlete. I really? wasn't, yes, yeah, that's a true story. I never mentioned that before, but as a coach right now, I understand how much is important to have someone, uh, to give you directions, to prepare you emotionally and a mindset to whatever happens, it happens. For me as an athlete, what I used to do day by day in my journey, I'm telling you, Mike, that's not a, you know, I'm telling you not as a lack of a, a humbleness, but when I roll with people, they don't even get advantage of me. Tapping me out, I don't even remember when the last time I tap out, you know? So for me, that loss was such a heavy in my emotional body, in my emotional backpack, that it, like, I feel like I weight a thousand pounds, you know? So like I said, man, if you don't have a good manner, good mentor and direction, you're going to end up in losing yourself. I, I lost for myself. So, so, Federico, you know, losing is a part of the game. Like, if, if you watch Jorge Masvidal, obviously you saw the Kamaru Usman loss, and right away he's on TV going, hey, man, you got me with the move that I actually like. Good on him. But previous to that, he got caught in, a like, an inverted triangle by Toby Am Amada that went viral. And this is before Jorge was Jorge. And he was giving interviews right after that, too, going, Hey, man, good game. He got me. It is what it is. I'd like to get, run that one back, but, hey, enjoy it. It's not going to happen again. But that mindset, you need somebody on top of you to kind of get you there. And when you don't, it's got to be devastating. Perfect, Mike. I remember when Randy Couture tapped out for Ansem Minoy, he get out of the ring and said, shit, 
happens. But for me, in my career, that it, you got to, please, guys, try to understand and take this in the right way. But since I was, I became a master, a sensei, when I was a blue belt, I was talking to a guy today at the gym, and he knows about jiu-jitsu, and knows about Brazil. He's telling me, man, even like the, the, the journalists in Brazil right now, when they go and, and do the announcement for Carlos going to the fight, he said, oh, man, that's the best grappler I've ever seen in my life right there behind Carlos. That's Francisco Bueno. What happened in my career, Mike, was it was good and sad at the same time because I lost so many opportunities to be in a place that I could be as a fighter, as an athlete. But, you know, like I remember since I was a blue belt, not even one black belt wants to roll with me when I was a blue belt and a kid because I make all the black belts tap when I was a blue belt. You know, and if you ask around in Brazil, no, wait, let, 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 me, let me bring this one home. So essentially, we talked about Todd Hester being the person that edited Grappling Magazine, which was kind of like the Bible of grappling. The amount of respect that the magazine and love had for Francisco Bueno, it was almost impossible for you to get fights because nobody wanted to get into the ring with you. Like it was like a Sage Northcutt type hype, except the train was real. I mean, it was, yeah, very, very frightening, you know, for, for the people that you were about to, to face. Um, but, one you know, that's things. nice to have that kind of recognition. It's very good. But like you said, without, like, somebody that you respect, then that all just feeds your ego. Exactly, Miguel. That's the point. And I'm so sad about that because I was a kid. Miguel, listen, that's man, that's in, people talk even today in Brazil, like Minotauro, Minotauro, those guys they know. Like when I go to the gym with my gi, all the guys take the gi off. It said, Oh, I'm tired, I'm not gonna roll with you. That happened since I was a blue belt. Miguel, I was a blue belt tapping out 10 times a black belt in five minutes. So that happened in my career. There's so much pressure and not an emotional and mindset of work to keep as a kid to make me go to a higher level. And then I get lost on my track. I didn't trust no one. Nobody wants to train with me. I, it's funny because Lonely. just now, like, like two hours ago, Mike, I was at the gym and I, I, I you know, I just got a guy over there that, that trains jiu-jitsu and he knows Surprised me because I'm not a well-knowing guy, but he knows me. He said, man, you're a legend, man. You, I know all about you like a man. He, people didn't want to train with you. You know, like a, I had a hard time to roll, just to roll with people. In L.A., when I opened up my gym, I just rolled with my students because when I go to someplace else, people didn't want to roll with me. One time I went to Beverly Hills Jiu-Jitsu. There's a lot of guys over there from UFC in Pride. And I stay in the middle. I train with all the 12 guys. I was in the middle and tapping like a 10, 20 times each one. So yeah, it was a hard for me because of my e ego here. What I accomplished as a kid in the gym, I didn't have the, the directions or the coach or the mentor to say, hey, kid, slow down. 
let's take a step by step. Let's work on this, on that. Don't take this fight. That was a wrong pick. I couldn't fight Igor Vovchanch. I wasn't ready at that time. And the manager and the promoters came to, oh, Chico, you're ready, you're the best. Go, go. I didn't have any directions. I was, you know, like, a, I felt sorry. But at the same time, it made me who I am today as a coach, you know. You correct the mistakes. You just got to correct them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's the perfect example. A fighter, you know, he's bleeding in the corner. Round five is about to start. The doctor asks him, you want to fight? He always says, yes. You know, if somebody else needs to make that decision, it's interesting. Now you know you weren't ready for Igor Bovchanchin. You walked into that fight thinking you were going to beat him? You had to. <laughs> you exactly had to. right. That's the point. That's the point. And I asked, says, I don't, I don't, I don't care how much they're gonna pay me. Put him, I'm gonna beat the crap that midget. I told them that back in the days, you know. That fat midget, I'm just gonna kill that fat midget, you know. So how was man, you know, like hey kid, relax, take your time, let's we'll promote that fight, let's take you to another level, let's train even harder, let's prepare you for the punches, you know. So it just no directions at all. Miguel. Let me give you another example of just how friggin' out of his mind he was at this time. Did you ever walk over to wildcard boxing and demand a spar with James Tony? How do you know that, man? That, that sparring happened, and then we almost ended up fighting. I, I want to take my gloves off and beat the crap out of him. I went up over there. I said, I want to box that motherfucker, you know? And I first, I boxed like a Mexican guy went wild and the guy keeps talking outside and say come on you motherfucker let's spar <laughs> so that's a truth man you're a real detective you're the best in the game mike how do you know that fucking and name man unbelievable james tony is one of the grimiest filthiest boxers and i say that with the utmost respect because i he's one of my childhood heroes and to walk over to Wildcard and demand to spar with him, it takes a certain type of individual to do that. I am not that person. <laughs> Mike, I did the same thing with Francois Bota. I don't know if you remember the guy. Of course, from yeah. Africa. Yeah, South Africa. Yeah, the White South Buffalo. Africa. And man, I'm yeah. telling you, it was a great sparring. Actually, we did like a six rounds. We went off to each other, you know? And after that, Michael Grant was another heavyweight uh, that I spar. And then another guy who was Lehman Brewster. He's not very well known, but he's an amazing boxer. Of course, oh, yeah. Lehman Brewster's very good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I'll take you back to, to another one here. I Did you fight in the 1996 uh, Jiu-Jitsu World Championship in the finals? Miguel, I don't remember. Man, I fought so many tournaments in jiu-jitsu back in the days, man. I'm, I'm being, um, I'm, I'm getting worried here that you may have, you may have faced uh, Ricardo Laborio in a final. Oh my God, that was a yeah. Let Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. I was a very light guy. You guys can ask that for Andrea Pedroneros. Uh, I was a black belt. He gave me the black belt, and then I had a problem with my knee. I have like a bacterial mat, they call it staphylococcus. You know, yeah. I had a very bad surgery. I haven't trained for a while. 
and I was a light guy. I was like a one back at that time. I was a one, maybe one sixty five, one yeah, one sixty five. And then Andrea said, Chico, you know what? I'm gonna put you in the heavyweight because I want you to fight Liborio. So I clean it up. That was my first Brazilian tournament as a black belt. The first one. I finish every fight. I end up in the finals with Liborio. And I was like, at least, I would say, 15 kilos, no more. 20, 20, 20, 20 kilos, pretty much lighter than him. So mm. we end up, he, he finished everybody in the first five seconds. So Andre mm. and everybody else sees it. I won that fight. You know, I, I, I reverse the guy, you know, I go to his neck, he get out of the ring, Andrea was screaming. The final point was four against two, but I did all the submissions attempt and the, the referee didn't, uh, didn't put in my account like six points of reversing. So that was a crazy match. That was a crazy, crazy match. Liborio, people would Man, argue. You guys are. You guys are unbelievable, man. You guys know about everything. You guys know more than my life than I do, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> so Liborio is highly regarded jiu-jitsu practitioner. People will say he didn't perform up to his ability. Meanwhile, the guy's a world champion. Like, they, they, they literally say he's the greatest person they've ever been on the mat with, period, bar none, especially when he's taken six months off and came back to the gym. That's when he's his most dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He's yes. one of those guys. It was an incredible match. It was a. I, I wish I could have that, that video of that fight. Uh, the other day I met Andrea Pedernero. We were talking about that fight, and Andrea said, Chico, you won that fight, man. You're the only one that beat that guy really well. And the guy was the, the – back in the days was the hypest. He was the well like I was a – like magician in jiu-jitsu, you know. So yeah, it was a beautiful match. It was a beautiful match. It was a final. It was a final match. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a picture. I can send you later, Mike. I have a and, and Miguel. I send it to you guys. A picture in the podium of their fight. Oh, awesome! Cool. All right, yeah. let me just kind of take it back just a little bit. The UFC one referees were Joao Alberto Bajeto and Helio Vigio. Vigio. What was their reputation like in Brazil? What do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, reputation well, about... They brought them from Brazil to referee UFC 1. So what, what were they like on the mats? Did you ever roll with them? What was their reputation? Yeah, I went to a, a João Alberto Barreto school. I rolled with his black belts. Back in the days, I was a purple belt. I was, a, I was insane purple belt. As I said, like, I was a blue belt. And I was tapping all the black belts five, ten times. So, uh, yeah, man, he's totally legit. You know, the guy, he's been with the Graces for such a long time. You know, very legit guy, very respectful, uh, respectful sensei. Um, actually, I didn't even remember that they were uh, UFC referees, but you're right. that uh, I, I remember now you, you told me I remember that stuff. That was amazing, man. You know, back in the days, people didn't know jiu-jitsu. So for us, it's such an easy thing, you know. Hoist had a such a easy... Hoist has a blast, man, you know, because he was sucking jiu-jitsu, you know, suck, a horrible jiu-jitsu guy. 
you know, and uh, uh, he ended up winning the UFC, you know, back in the days. Of course, people didn't know jiu-jitsu, so, but he was sucked. He always been sucked, you know, like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and he was a blast, man. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, another Hall of Famer, Royce Gracie. All right, so you take a year and a half off. Do you have visa issues at the United States at this point? Because I know right around this time, you right after the Igor fight, your gym closed. Do you get turned around at the airport, or what happened? No, no, no. Actually, uh, uh, after I fought Igor, I was, I was, what can I say, man? I lost my track. Okay. Not that if I had one before. <laughs> You know, I was like, as I said, man, I was done everything by myself in my life. You know, um, I didn't, I didn't have a dad in my life, a father. So, wow. um, yeah, uh, I was raised by my mom. You know, my family was just me and my mom. So uh, I was, man, I was like a, a kid lost in the world, like a, a guess of incredible talent. Uh, on, on the ground and he's standing up also like a boxing and wrestling. But like, as I said, Mike and Miguel, I was like, a, no directions at all. I couldn't digest emotionally that loss for Igor. So I end up pretty much. Uh, disconnected. Yeah. You disconnected. disconnected. Yeah. That's the word disconnected to myself. And I didn't, uh, I didn't trust myself anymore as a fighter after that fight, I will be very open and transparent with you guys. I was hurt, man, emotionally hurt because it I is. Yeah. 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 But Mike, remember for me as a kid, uh, I never pretty much lost a sparring session. So for me to digest a loss like that was the end of the war for me. That was it for me, man. And after that, I I fought for the belt in WVC. I ended up yeah. winning that belt. A year and a half later. Yeah, so a year and a half yeah. later. And, 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 you know, you had mentioned not having a father growing up or a mentor. A father and a mentor would have made you go back to the gym, like, later on the next week. And no, 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 no. Deal with it. But that's that's why you're here as a coach. That is what you're doing. So My, the w Just... Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, just to add all that. Man, I got in my room depressed. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep after that loss. Uh, my ego was so hurt. My Yeah, I was devastated, man. I, I Man, I'm telling you, I, for me, I didn't know when. they Like, I'm going to tell you, it's like this. Not even a half guard, people taking uh, sparring. So to lose like that, as a, I, I, I lost my track. Now, did you, uh, a, a personal question, did you, obviously depression, but did you turn to drugs or alcohol? Were you, did you have to fight that? No, 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 no. I've never done Who's drugs you? in my life. Never, uh, never, never. Miguel, I was very educated for my mom, you know, um, and uh, I have a, like a, you know, I, I believe in God a lot, you know, uh, I was connected with God. I was just disconnected with myself, you know, because it was just pure ego, you know, just pure like a, I was a weak mentally. I was a weak person emotionally, you know, and uh, I was a weak uh, emotional athlete. I was very weak because 
after the loss, I lost my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, What's body... crazy is behind the scenes, everybody is afraid of him. Like, for sure. Like, your reputation, I'm not going to say ego, but, but your reputation, the Brazilians wanted nothing to do with you, and the Americans would look at the Brazilians going, wait a minute. If the people that we're having issues with want no part of that guy, what does that tell us? That's this. You were in a real strange situation, to be honest with you. Very true, Mike. Very true, man. And then I have no, like, uh, I have no school because when I came here, Andrea Pedonera said, uh, "Oh man, come on, you, you, you're not gonna survive in America. You're from Brazil. Bullshit, you're going. You cannot leave the school. You won't take a month. You're gonna come in back." Man, after a year, he called me. Oh, can you put our name together uh, in the wall? I said, no. No. Mm -hmm. You didn't trust me, bro. You're supposed to be my sensei. Fuck you. I'm not putting the, your name under, the, uh, under my name over there at the wall. So we had an issue, me and Andre. We stopped talking. So that's another loss for me as a mentor because a uh, part of my journey of course, since a, a white belt, I've been with one draft, you know. So after I got into Meiji, George Medi, we had a little problem. And then we had this problem. And then we stopped talking. So I was by myself in this uh, fighting world, you know. I was trying to reinvent myself. I get my car, uh, jump into my car, go to wild car looking for sparring, go to Watts, Compton the boxing, really dirty gyms. Uh, I go to Cerritos College, go call State Fullerton to see six some wrestling. And then jiu-jitsu I do to my students. And, you know, I was a kid. You know, like I'm talking about 22 years old. People call me sensei and master. You cannot do that to a kid. You yeah. know, but I did it to myself. That's the only way that I could handle myself and try to compensate the lack of a father and the lack of a mentor. So I feel that, you know, that's why maybe right now I'm so close to Carlos. He called me dad. You know, I try to compensate that in the, in this game for him right now. And for me. Okay. Were you in the gym when Frank Shamrock and Health Gracie rolled? Frank, no. Okay, so no. Frank Shamrock allegedly ripped the knee out of Half Gracie in a no, grappling match. No, I wasn't there. There's another uh, story that was really funny. A lot of guys, there is uh, me, Walid Ismail. You guys already know Walid. Of course. <laughs> um, uh, Tito Ortiz, uh, Vander Braga. You must know Vander Braga. Of course. Well, you you got to ask him that. Man, I became Vander Idol. Idol. Because of that, because I was warming up. That's Fabiano Iha. Remember Fabiano Iha? For Huntington sure. Beach? Yeah. Yes. So we at their gym, and then Tito was mashing a uh, Vander. Vander was a little kid, you know. And I remember there's Vladimir Klitschkov over there too. No, you're talking and about then I Vladimir, said, Vladimir Matyushenko. Matuchenko, Matuchenko, yeah, Matuchenko. That's the guy, the wrestler, yes. the world champion. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, man, I, I'm going to tell you guys that one. That was a famous one, too. And um, Tito, he went to the cage with uh, Vander and Vali. 
playing on the ground, showing people uh, some techniques on the on the mats. And I see Tito beat him up bad. And I said, hey, you better get someone to the, your own size. Stop that bullshit and go with me. Mike and Miguel, listen, I went up with Tito. He looks like a two-years-old kid in my hand. I just murder him. Every I touch him, he tap. I touch him, he tap. I take him down, pass. He was crying, man. He was so impressed. Man, that people freak out. Like, a vendor Braga was so happy, man. Actually, he put in the Twitter, I guess, the other day, or, or Instagram. I'm not a social media guy either. But, um, man, I remember that day. But not with a Shamrock and, and Ralph Grace. I wasn't there. Okay. Okay. I wasn't there. Do you remember getting your first student in the United States when you opened up your gym? Luis Trasvina. He's your first student no, here in the man, United States. I don't States. remember that. He's your first really? student here in the United States. Okay. Yeah, he, he wrote something real nice with you about you online. You've got a lot of respect that he had for you. But let's talk about your comeback. You have to climb that hill of Vocentian, and pride doesn't help because they're they're plastering it over every highlight reel. And you fight Mario Mendoza, who is a like He didn't take some steroids. He took all of the steroids. He's huge. That's your comeback fight. Yes. And Mike and Miguel, to tell you guys the truth, when that guy arrived... And uh, I talked to La Penda and all those guys, Minotaro, saw him hitting the pads and the mitts. Said, Chico, man, that is not a good fight to come back after a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we know your, your, you know, you know, like all your guns and you know what, man, forget about that. And I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm, I, I try it. I go to La Penda and say, La Penda, please. Putting me against the the, the 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 fat karate guy over there. There's a karate guy, you know. <laughs> I forgot his name, you know. Pritiochi, um, Patriochi, something like that, you know. Um, he's an American guy. He fought um, the other Brazilian guy, Sukata. Sukata. Okay. And then I said, please, man, change me, man. Give me the fat karate guy and put this monster against Sukata. Sukata was having an hours. He said, no, man, this is the main event. You got to go through this. And uh, all uh, the people, uh, when the day of the fight, the guy was warming up. Man, he stopped every fighters, man. He hit the pads. And every kick he did it to the pads, his train was flying all over the place. So Andre Pedreras came to me and said, Chico, fuck, man, he's it's insane. Can you hear right now? I was in the locker room, the dressing room. The guy was hitting the pads like a, in the other side, other locking room. But I, I kept hearing the, the kicks. So the man, the, the, this kid kicked like a mule. So it was a crazy day. It was a crazy day. Well, you get the takedown, a couple bad scrambles, you land the rear naked choke, and... Um, you take another extended period off before you fight in London against uh, Alex Travelier. 
Yes. You're you're not as active as everybody wants you to be. Mike, it was a really tough for me. Like, as I said, uh, I did my whole program of training. I trained with my students. I had to teach class. You know, like I was by myself in L.A. You know, I was running with my car, trying to pay the bills, uh, going to the boxing gyms and wrestling uh, programs to try to fit me in. And um, no coaches, no mentor. And then, uh, you know, it was just, was just very lonely for me, you know, like uh, – like my life uh, before, you know, like a lack of a dad, you know, uh, a lack of support, emotional support. I was a poor and weak mentally, you know, very, very, very poor and weak and lonely kid uh, uh, mentally. So that's why uh, I wish every fighter get that, you know, the mentor, the coach and respect and be grateful for the coach to be on their side you know, but for me, it was crazy, man. I drive around, I drove around, go into the, some uh, boxing gym, put my gloves and say, I, I want to spar. <laughs> you know, like a wild card and all that, you know, all those places that I went to. I did by myself, you know, that's just how far that I could do it. You know, I wish that I had like, a, you know, directions to go further, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. I, you talk about things like, you, you know, your body the age, you know, all your training, the age, but your emotional age, you could be stuck at about 15 years old, you know, and you're not ready for anything. <laughs> Miguel, eight, eight years old. <laughs> okay. That's very you insightful. Know, I, I keep saying, man, it was tough for me. Sometimes I always talk to my wife, you know, and even not my kid, but I, I let him know what is not having a dad. I was eight years old and, and my dad was gone. You know, I haven't talked to him and my That's mom it. was dying of cancer when I was eight. I was just so afraid of life because people came to me and said, Francisco, what's going to be in your life? If you don't have a dad, now your mom's dying. So what are you going to do in your life? And then I was freaking out. So, I took it as a granted. I put that into my emotional baggage, luggage, and that hurt me a lot in my life. You know, I was, I was very sad and no direction. And then all I could do is sell my car and try to come and train in the United States because in Brazil, people didn't want to train with me. I had that problem, you know, the lack of training too. So uh, I searched my path, you know, um, I did whatever I could do it. Uh, if I regret of something, of course I am. But now I became this man, this coach that I try to do the best as I can. And then, you know, it's been working out so far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That You know, uh, I lined uh, Francisco up uh, with Motaz. He needed two fights. He went out to Mason City, Iowa on his own dime, fought for free in order the, – I'm not going to say you fought for free. You paid Motaz to get there, transportation, food, everything, in order that Motaz had an opportunity, something that you yourself may not have had. You provided him. And the guys from Mason City, they said, well, you know, Francisco came. He's insisting on teaching a seminar. We'll get everybody together. You know, cool, real nice guy. He says he's doing it for free, so you continue to give. And Mike Estes over there, all he does is, like, that entire area is, like, wait a minute, 
what's happening with this Francisco Bueno guy? They flipped their affiliation. They're with you. They said flat out, they've never seen anything like this. Like, and this is a guy that's been around a long time. He's got a 25 yeah. year plus experience in the fight world. And he said, he's never seen anything like Francisco Bueno called me up like two weeks ago to personally thank me for even connecting you two. Yeah. Yes. You're the guy that support us too, to, to find yeah. that fight. We're crazy about that. You know what? Before that, Mike, uh, there's more to ha happen and to talk about it. Carlos, beginning of career, uh, I, I find Carlos in the streets, you know, has no food, no place to stay. I was building a gym in the ghetto in Brazil. So um, I see that kid, the, the eyes, a lot of hungry, no dad ever, had not, never had a dad. His mom died when he was a five years old and his mom died as a cancer, you know, and Carlos was five years old. She died with him in his her lap. You know, oh. so the lack of dad with Carlos and the mother with the cancer is very similar to my history. So mm -hmm. I get touched in my heart. You know, I start training that kid. Um, I got emotional just to talk about it right now, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and uh, it was a beautiful journey. You know, the kid has no place to stay. And uh, we trust the, the program. We stuff the, we trust everything, man the path and I start training the kid and we got him a fight um, against Andrea guys, a very, very good kid. And Carlos just run through that guy. And his second fight was in England against a guy, I guess a 12 and one or 12 and two. Carlos just had one fight, but we trust so much in our training. And then I pay the tickets to go to England. I pay the hotel. I pay everything, man. And then we go over there and we win that match. And there was a second match. So it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful journey, man. You know, like, uh, I, I feel like I, I'm rescued. I rescue. I'm so thankful. Not only I'm thinking for, for God and, and for Carlos also, because I can rescue my life, you know, doing this. It's not only mm -hmm. uh, for him. You know, I did it to myself also. Yeah. You know? uh, so, um the investment was so beautiful. Uh, we, you know, I just feel sorry and I feel bad for the last fight in the UFC because the kid was 45 days off in Brazil, no training, spread ankle, spread knee, no training at all after the, the belt in LFA. So he came and fought in the UFC, his first match. Like he arrived one day before the fight so, but we had to do that because it was an opportunity to get into the UFC. But we have like a four fights, uh, four contract fights. But um, that's pretty much it, man. It's a lot of emotional stuff. It's, it's just crazy journey. Well, yeah, he's a like professional. Like I said, you, you, yeah. you and Carlos, you know, you took Carlos from the very beginning to that. You just told us a lot of that story. To me, that's jujitsu at its highest level. Is, yes. is that yes. it transcends lives, you know? The, whatever happens on the mat, that's special. But the life changing, it happens so many. I remember a very similar story. I, do you remember another little guy, Hudson Rocha, from a, a, a Brazilian top team 20 years ago? He, okay. It doesn't matter. The stories are, the stories just come through. Carlson Gracie was a guy, obviously, Mike always talks about him who was known for bringing kids off the street. Jiu-Jitsu changes lives. And 
you know, you're able to do that now, and maybe, maybe that's what it was all about. Maybe it wasn't yeah, the fight. For sure. it was the you help one person, you're a success at life. And we like this podcast. There's some reoccurring themes. There's coaches that help people in the beginning, and then there's poachers that are big game hunters that are very good at what they do, but they don't have the skill set to take somebody or give them the fundamentals in the beginning. But once they've developed those, they're excellent at creating game plans and, and, and furthering their careers. There's a huge difference between those two, a coach and a poacher. Both are important. Huge. But to be both of those is very special. Very few people are both. True, well, the, the, the True. One, the guy who starts at the very beginning is a personal relationship, and with the poachers, it's a business. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Perfect, Miguel. Perfect point of view. Joe Morera, one of your buddies at Black Belt, do you remember a brown belt from the Gracie Torrance Academy named Lowell Anderson that was there for 15 years, and then he just had enough and quit? No? Okay. I'm tracking that one no, down. Yeah. I'm tracking him down. There, there's a story. There. So either way... Um, why don't you describe your, your, your relationships with Joe Moriera, people that have really impacted your life? And Miguel, we can wind this one up. I'm, I'm done. And, and Francisco, you're an absolute professional. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much, you guys, for having me here, man. You guys are the best in the business. Amazing questions. Amazing, like, uh, details from the MMA history. We're talking about the whole beginning of this sport. You guys are 100% into that. I appreciate your work. You both are legends, man. Beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah, with Joe Moreira, man. Joe Moreira is a great guy. I met Joe Moreira like uh, in the 1994, 95, something like that. Um, I came to LA. I was a Brazilian champion. Um, I kind of go to his gym. I work, uh, I, I roll with him and his students. Uh, man, he was, you know, he loved the way I, I, I roll. And work. I went to Japan to train back in the days when I was here. I spent like a 30, 30 days in a Kodoka in Tokyo, you know, and I came back. I stayed at Joe Moria's house. So it's a friendship, man. It's all 100% respect. You know, I love that guy. You know, he's like a really cool guy. You know, he's, man, he's 60 something years old. He keeps going. So, it's beautiful, man. He's a he's a good friend that 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 the, the jujitsu brought me to this life, man. One hundred percent. Francisco, thank you for your time, man. I'm gonna probably I'm gonna text you. I'll probably see you in Vegas on Friday, Thursday, Friday. Beautiful, Mike. Thank you so much, guys. You guys thank are you, the sir. best legends. It was an honor. Thank you so much. much you know, we wouldn't up. be here if it wasn't for your blood, sweat, and tears. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Have a beautiful day. Well, Mike. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Coral Belt, Francisco Bueno, is in the books. Well, here's the thing, Miguel. There is a bunch of high-end competitors that weren't a part of the Gracie system when the marketing machine took off. And to the Gracie's credit, man, they did a, not only a phenomenal job at it, but they just they monetized it every single level. And they still do today. Like... 
anybody that really disparages the Gracie system is kind of done so out of a little bit of jealousy involved. But there's also fighters on the other side that, you know, kind of rode between. They just they gym hopped. They went between Luda Libre and the Gracie system or the jujitsu system and Luda Libre. And Francisco Bueno was driving that bus like the hype behind him. It's kind of hard to imagine because his fight record isn't as deep, but all the Brazilians knew who he was, and they were very hesitant to fight him. Yeah, he he had a daunting reputation. I remember um, when I met him at that IBC that he was a guy that he had some good polish, and his English wasn't bad by then either. You know, he had been yeah. living in the States and stuff. So he, he really, like, at that point, you, you're like, whoa, you, you take notice of a, a Brazilian guy speaking good English. I remember what he, we'd asked him, because he was going to Pride, we asked him, you know, what about UFC? Are you going to do UFC? And I remember, you know, you could hear, you know, the limitations in the language. He said, uh, you know, Pride is better for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's better for you. You know, it's not two and two to show, you know, <laughs> like some of the other guys or whatever UFC's offering. So he got a, he probably got, you know, a, a good $20,000, $30,000 for the pride fights. And, you know, that definitely is better. And um, against Godsey, he just got the job done. I mean, that's IVC. And I think Godsey's a guy that enjoys the competition part of it, the, the one upmanship of, all right, you beat me, I beat you. Like the whole, Roll, you know, he was a gym rat. Godsey always liked to roll, but in that match, he got caught off guard by Bueno. Bueno's intensity. He was just, he was just through the roof intense. Like, you know, like every time he'd be like practically frothing at the mouth every time he saw Godsey after that. And then, and uh, Godsey was like, What am I going to do with this guy? That was his question. What am I going to do with this guy? And Jason, at that time, was one of the most experienced guys out there. So, yeah. You know, he, he he intimidated. He 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 had, um, you know, the hype, but he also backed it up in in the limited times that we saw him. And then the both chanting thing, I'm proud of him for admitting now. You know, you you're in over your head against Igor Bovchanchin, and you thought, yeah, I'm gonna kill this midget. You know what I mean? So he's grown, and at least he understands that 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 one's on him. You know? Okay. So with Bovchanchin. Like Lytle has said in dozens of interviews, you need a championship mindset. You need to go out there, get your butt kicked from pillar to post, leave there and say, well, if I just changed this a little bit, I would have whooped him. I would have killed him. And he said, you can say that, but you better believe it. And if you don't believe it, you'll never be a world champion. It's like he's Chris always says, you've got to be delusional. So going into that, that, that's great. But the reality of the situation is, is that one loss, the first time he really ever lost. And this is outside of jiu-jitsu because I know he lost to, obviously, Liborio, uh, Mario Sperio, Fabio uh, Gergel, Fabio Gergel. Like the highest of the high-end guys is who he was competing with. And, um, dude, he closed his gym after that. Like he... The rumors at that time were, oh, he had visa issues. He got sent home. He can't come back here now. But the reality of the situation is he couldn't pull himself out of bed. He was that depressed. Yeah, it, you know, I can see that. And and he's right about, every, like you you point out all the time. I mean, Muhammad Ali had, you know, Customato or, or whoever was responsible for teaching him. And um, 
it makes a difference when you don't have that. Even Lytle, uh, our, our, our buddy, has talked about how, you know, he was like, all right, I got to run, you know, 100 wind sprints or, you know, do 100 of these. And all of a sudden he's like, when he's mentoring himself, he's like, you know, if I do just 20, I'll be fresher tomorrow. And you start talking these things, you know, and there's no one there to call you out on that. And Bueno, as dedicated as he is, had nobody to combat that type of thing. When you get into a depression, it's a, it, they call it a downward spiral for a reason. Yeah. It's very difficult to stop that break of, of, of downward, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, now obviously he, he's well beyond it and obviously, you know, formed into a totally different person. But yeah, I could see that being extremely hard on him because he believed yeah. his own height. Yeah. Now, and you, know, you, you have to. Muhammad Ali's favorite trainer, you're not going to read about this in anybody's book, but the reality situation is Clarence Griffin. Montel Griffin, guy that fought Roy Jones Jr., beat James Tony twice. His father and Muhammad Ali were like brothers, man. Clarence Griffin was his favorite trainer. Anyway, back to back to Francisco Bueno. Um, him coming out and talking about that just, just shows just how honest he is, though. Like that, and he got emotional, too. He didn't have a mom or he didn't have a dad. Dude, I, I, I didn't know that. There's nothing online about that. So essentially, he's, you know, we're not going to call him a ward of the state, but he had people looking out for him. They cared for him. He's filled with rage, filled with anger, I'm sure, based on his childhood. And rather than let that one instance define him, he, he took a kid off the street. And he's got him in the UFC right now. Yeah, and, and he's no joke in terms of, of what you meant, what you exactly what you talked about, honesty, because – you know, I, I, I was trying to help him because you could, you know, English is his second language. So there are sometimes where, you know, he's trying to really elaborate a story and if you can help him. So I told, you know, I was like, hey, you can get emotionally trapped at like 15 years old and be an adult, you know, physically and everything like that. But if you're trapped emotionally there and he was like, man, for, for him, it was eight years old because that's when the tragedies in his family oh. have. So, he, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, he, he, I could relate to that. I could relate yeah. to that, dude. Like, I've you know, my, my kid's mom died. You know, I, I could honestly relate to that, you know, from a parent watching a kid. And it's like, I can't imagine a trauma. It's the hardest day of my life ever was telling my kid that her mom died. Like, I can't imagine having both parents gone. Like, I, dude, it choked me up, too, dude. I'm not like Jamie Varner got me, he got me. Yeah, you know, like it's. I, I think I think you know, um, it's all right to cry in the lights on podcast. I don't I don't want it to become like a gimmick or something. It's like we try, but but <laughs> a lot awesome. of guys, a lot of guys have reached over into that that end where where they get they emotional and stuff. Do we have people so, crying? You know, semi yeah, no. crying. So yeah, we're we're a pancreas. Yeah, so <laughs> definitely, um, you know. I, I, I appreciate being the support for those guys because, you know, no one's talking about some of that stuff. And that really is – I do I do think – and Bueno said it too. You wrap up with it because Bueno is, is I think, a wise guy right now, like in terms of, of wisdom of the sport, and he's got a lot to, to hand down. Um, but, um, you know, he said it. It's a total package. It's a, If you're not – emotionally wound up and into the fight if you think you're doing something you know else on the side you know Hector Lombard talked about it he couldn't get 
his girlfriend's situations together and his emotions were all up and down and crazy. And he lost his first UFC fight after being one of the most hyped guys. You're not together 100% in mind, body, soul. Fighting it becomes more difficult. You're fighting yourself. Lambert almost was in tears talking about what took place in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, Miguel, we've got about 14 or 15 episodes that need time stamps still. Anybody that wants to do that will have T-shirts within the next 10 days that we're going to send out. I've also got Art Davies' book. I've got probably about 20 copies of Art Davies' book. Um, if you guys see any episodes with timestamps, we're going to probably make a, a real quick list and throw it on YouTube. You guys want to help us out with that, bro, we'll send you out a nice little care package. You know, uh, I don't know. We'll figure something out. And, dude, there's a guy, Rambo John Jay, who posts on the Underground Forum, MMA.TV, the Underground Forum. He's actually got a Reddit account, and he's just gaming the system. You got to post this in order to post that, and he's really – posting our a lot of our library and what's taking place is we're seeing an influx of people what you can see it in our our comments section of people that had no idea that uh, we even existed even over like 150 episodes on yeah I, I hope it happens in 2023 it's been a fun ride in 2022 you know we'll see <laughs> are you are, are you being a little ominous like if it doesn't happen in 2023 <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna keep doing this shit. I mean, it's, it's you know at this point you're you're a lifer. I'm a lifer. I don't really care, but it would be nice to you know, I don't know, maybe have new glasses. <laughs> so, well, hey Miguel, you know we might be like living in tents and using McDonald's Wi-Fi, continuing the podcast. It'd just be nice to kind of supersize our meal occasionally. That's it. You know those, those big it. green dumpsters. In the back of like you know Starbucks and stuff, not a buffet. You can still, you can still get the Wi-Fi through the green dumpster, and they provide a lot of shelter. Like you could get, you really could be in you know in a rainstorm in there. Yeah. So, so anyway, that, that may be um, where we do this from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So Francisco Bueno's in the books, man. Fantastic interview. And what I really like, like BJJ Heroes. There's nothing on there. He doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Absolutely deserves it. The guy's been all over the world. He's fought in like four countries. And um, it's kind of like uh, writing a book that already existed, but people refuse to acknowledge it. That's what we did. And it's a spectacular human being on top of that. So we got lucky on this one. Yep. And yeah, yep. hats off, Francisco Bueno, in the books. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.